Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The Exorcism of Annalise Mikkel When most people think of an exorcism, they conjure up images from various films of someone on a bed as their bodies contort and they spout profanities in growling voices at a priest. While movies such as The Exorcist have taken over the popular impression of exorcisms, films, like many other things, have embellished quite a bit. The real-world practice of casting out entities from people believed to be possessed has existed for thousands of years, extending beyond the purview typically limited in films to Christianity. There have been a number of well-known exorcism cases in the last century, but the one we'll be discussing today is that of Annalise Mikkel, a German Catholic woman whose case has inspired multiple films. As usual, I won't be covering every detail of this story, but I will cover all of the major points. Annalise Mikkel was born in September of 1952 in Liebelfing, Germany, and was baptized the following day. The Mikkels were a hard-working and traditional Roman Catholic family that lived in the town of Klingenberg, not far from the sawmill that Annalise's father Josef owned and operated. Annalise's older sister died at the age of eight after complications during surgery to remove a kidney, leaving Annalise the oldest of four daughters. Her mother, Anna, spent most of her time working in the sawmill business with Yosef, so the children were often looked after by Annalise's religious grandmother. The family went to Mass every Sunday, and occasionally on weekday evenings, and often prayed the rosary together at home. Annalise had some health issues as a child, contracting mumps, measles, and scarlet fever before the age of five, but otherwise, she was a good student, well-liked by her teachers, and her mother had hopes that she would become a teacher herself one day. Things started to become serious for Annalise in September of 1968, around the time of her 16th birthday, when sitting next to her friend, she suddenly lost consciousness for a brief moment. She passed off the incident as being overtired, but later that night, she woke up and realized she couldn't move and couldn't speak. This lasted a few moments, after which Annalise remained terrified, but changed the sheets on her bed as she had urinated. She confided the situation to her mother, but she otherwise recovered and time went on. Almost a year later, in August of 1969, the same scenario occurred, with Annalise experiencing another brief blackout during the day and a paralyzation during the night. She told her mother again, and this time they went to visit the family physician who referred them to a neurologist, Dr. Luthi. The doctor asked them a large number of questions and ran a number of tests, but everything turned up normal, leading the doctor to diagnose it as likely a case of cerebral seizures with symptoms of grand mal epilepsy. No anticonvulsant drug was prescribed since the seizures were so far apart. Annalise went back to school, but developed further health complications, having her tonsils removed and contracting pleurisy and pneumonia. She was eventually moved to a hospital in January of 1970, 
and then a clinic the next month which specialized in bronchial and lung disease for young people. Throughout the process, Annalise became further dedicated to the Catholic faith, pondering becoming a catechist instead of a school teacher, essentially a type of religious teacher. In June of 1970, while still staying at the clinic, Annalise suffered another seizure, and two weeks later she visited another neurologist. The tests still showed no anomalies, but the doctor prescribed an anticonvulsant regardless. Annalise eventually left the clinic and returned home at the end of August, but her personality had changed by this point. It's unclear exactly when Annalise started experiencing visions, but during her stay at the clinic, she began to see what she later described as ghastly, demonic faces. She would also experience periods in which she smelled a horrible stench, akin to burning fecal matter. These experiences haunted Annalise, slowly transforming her personality, leaving her depressed and withdrawn, and she was reluctant to go back to school. At school, her grades suffered, and she continued to suffer from brief moments of unconsciousness and body stiffness, as well as another seizure in June of 1972, leading to another visit to Dr. Luthi. More tests were ran, with no conclusive results, but Luthi prescribed another anticonvulsant drug. The occurrences of unconsciousness and body stiffness increased later in the year, but by June of 1973, no further seizures had occurred. Annalise continued to experience the demonic faces and the horrible stenches, eventually leading her to tell her parents about them, as well as saying that she heard voices claiming that she would be damned to hell forever. Her father said that she was epileptic and someday she would get better, while her mother said that she had witnessed Annalise standing before their statue of the Virgin Mary with her face full of hatred and her eyes jet black. Annalise contracted German measles and missed several more weeks of school, but still graduated in 1973, although her depression deepened despite of this. She would tell a psychiatrist that she felt like she was in a deep hole during this period, and she had recurring thoughts of suicide. The medication prescribed to Annalise over the prior years did not seem to be alleviating her symptoms, and an incident at a shrine to the Virgin Mary solidified the family's belief that Annalise was in fact possessed. At the shrine, Annalise was unable to enter the building, as she said that the ground burned like fire. She couldn't look at holy pictures or sacramentals, and she claimed the holy water offered to her to drink smelled bad. A family friend suggested contacting a priest, and the family went on to sit down to discuss the situation with him. He found Annalise to be entirely normal during the meeting, somewhat shy, with no indication of possession, and suggested that she see a specialist. A series of meetings with another priest led him to suggesting that she see a neurologist. Another priest that had sat in on some of the meetings with the first priest ended up discussing Annalise's situation with a friend of his, Father Ernst Alt. When Father Alt was told of Annalise, he claims that he was suddenly able to describe the entire Mikkel family, and felt an enormous radiation originating from Annalise's head. Two days later, a priest handed him two letters written by Anna and Annalise, and he was unable to read them due to becoming suddenly overwhelmed with nausea. Later that night, during Mass, he was struck with a force to his back and smelled an intense stench as though something was burning, 
claiming that a negative force was surrounding him. These claims were later described in court by a psychiatrist as pseudo-hallucinations, possibly suggesting that Father Alt suffered from schizophrenia. Father Alt became further interested in the case, and several weeks later he met with Annalise. Despite her growing problems, she started her education at a university, majoring in education and theology. While at school she would continue to take her medication and be visited by Father Alt nearly every two weeks, but she still suffered from depression and experienced visions of demonic faces. In November of 1973, she developed a relationship with another student named Peter, despite Peter's overall lack of interest in religion compared to Annalise's devout nature. Two weeks after they met, Annalise told Peter that she couldn't be with him anymore, as she was very depressed and said that she couldn't feel for him the way she was supposed to. Peter took Annalise to see a psychiatrist, who concluded that she was suffering from neurosis, with epilepsy as the cause of her seizures, and he referred her to the neurological clinic at the university. The tests done by the clinic showed some irregular patterns in her brain, and she was prescribed with an anti-seizure drug and mood stabilizer. Annalise didn't mention seeing demonic faces to either doctor, and eventually only told Peter about them the following month. Her depression came and went unpredictably, coinciding with periods in which she experienced seeing demonic faces and smelling the strong stenches. She continued to develop a bond with Father Alt, who suggested that she practice a stricter religious lifestyle as well as continue her visits to the doctor. In a visit to her psychiatrist in May of 1974, she complained of severe headaches, slow reflexes, fatigue, and one side of her body suffering from paralysis-like symptoms. The neurologist suggested that Annalise was not taking her medication regularly, but found her EEG to have improved. By September of 1974, Annalise's depression had become constant, and Father Alt grew increasingly convinced that she was suffering from demonic possession. He wrote a letter to his superior, Bishop Josef Stangl, requesting permission to perform an exorcism on Annalise, in secret, to avoid any religious sensation. The request was denied, and Alt was told to be patient and continue as he has. Annalise became increasingly devout in her religious practices, forming a prayer group at the university with two other girls, who disagreed with the changes the modern Catholic Church was making in Germany. Annalise was told to continue taking her medication throughout 1975, but she began to lose her appetite, and occasionally stayed in bed for several days at a time. Annalise added music to her majors, and her workload increased leading her to contemplate dropping out of the university entirely. By June of 1975, she would occasionally lose control of herself, suddenly throwing things at Peter and her friends. She became convinced that she was condemned to hell based on the voices she heard, and when Father Alt came to visit and pray with her, she ripped the rosary to pieces. Father Alt became convinced of her possession, and told Annalise's family to come pick her up and take her home. Her friends said that occasionally Annalise would tell them to stop praying because it hurt her, she removed a picture of Jesus from her wall, and she no longer went to church, complaining that she couldn't enter the building. Oftentimes at home her legs would stiffen and she would be unable to walk properly, and she was unable to sleep regularly. 
One day, while on a walk in the countryside with Peter, Annalise dropped to her knees and was unresponsive for ten minutes. Afterwards, she suddenly leaped up and exclaimed that she was free and she saw the Virgin Mary. Two months later, at a visit to a monastery, she claims to have seen the Virgin Mary again, who told her that so many young souls in Germany are lost, and Annalise could do penance for those souls to help save them. She apparently had three days to decide on the agreement, and she discussed it with her parents, who were gravely concerned. When her mother told her that she couldn't go through with this, Annalise responded that she can, because if she doesn't, souls may be lost. After she apparently agreed with the Virgin Mary to suffer penance, she said that for a couple of weeks she would be free, but then it would get bad again. She soon returned to the university, but upon entering her room she became rigid and she growled at a crucifix on the wall. Peter grew afraid and took her back home. Father Alt again contacted Bishop Stangl for permission to carry out what's called the small or minor exorcism rite. This is performed when it's believed a negative force is influencing an individual, but they are not fully possessed. He and another priest received permission and they performed the minor exorcism in August of 1975, during which Annalise moaned that she was burning and she attempted to knock Father Alt's prayer book from his hand. The minor exorcism resulted in little improvement in Annalise's condition, and she soon grew completely out of control. She would get only an hour or two of rest each night, would shout for mercy from Jesus for hours at a time, would kneel down and stand up repeatedly until her knees swelled, would remain rigid for several days, would barely eat or drink anything for periods, and would even eat insects and urinate on the floor and lick it. She would destroy any religious object in the house and lash out at family members, but when occasionally helped to make things more comfortable for her, she would say that helping her would only force her to go through something worse. She wasn't always out of control, however, and in her moments of lucidity, she said that she was not able to pray because an invisible force was preventing her, and when the exorcism prayers were read, it felt like her hands were in a wasp's nest. She said that the demons had tempted her with thoughts of suicide, and she was tempted to jump out of the window. Clearly, the minor exorcism rite had not handled things, and Annalise's friends and family became truly concerned for her health, as she was continuing to harm herself in various ways. Another priest was called in to meet with Annalise, who was in a sort of trance at the time. During part of this meeting, Annalise spoke in a lower tone of voice and referred to herself as another individual, Judas, referring to Judas Iscariot, a disciple of Jesus Christ that had betrayed him. She also had dropped out of the trance and carried on a perfectly reasonable conversation with the priest for a time, but the priest left with the conclusion that they were dealing with a case of possession. Four of the priests involved in the case gathered together with their conclusions and wrote a letter to Bishop Stangl requesting permission to perform the major exorcism rites, with another priest, Father Arnold Renz, chosen to actually perform the exorcism. The bishop granted them permission, with the caveat that it be done in utmost secrecy. The first exorcism session was performed on September 24th, 1975, in Annalise's room, with four priests, her parents, Peter, 
two of her sisters, and a family friend, Peter Hine, present. Before the session started, Annalise was friendly and communicative, but soon grew violent as the rites began, attempting to lash out at anyone nearby, necessitating her father and the two Peters to hold her down. At times, she screamed and howled and uttered profanities at Father Renz, but wouldn't provide any answers to questions asked. Many prayers were said for the Trinity, the Virgin Mary, and other angels and saints to expel the demons from Annalise, and the first session lasted three and a half hours. Annalise said that she saw and heard everything that was going on during the session, but had no control over her words and actions. The first exorcism session did not cure Annalise, so Father Renz and Father Alt continued the process. Aside from the first, these other sessions were recorded, and some of them were played for the bishop with Annalise's approval. Eventually, Annalise spoke as a number of other individuals aside from Judas, six in total. These were Judas, Lucifer, Nero, the Roman Emperor, Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, Hitler, and Fleischmann, a pastor that ran a church in Germany in the 1570s who was removed from his position due to being a womanizer, a drunkard, and a murderer. I won't go into too many specifics about everything that Annalise said during these sessions, but I will highlight and explain some things. As I mentioned, Annalise was a highly traditional Catholic during a time in which the modern Catholic Church was changing and altering some of their practices. Many of the conversations during the sessions related to these changing traditions, and the effect they are having on modern youth. Contrary to what you might think, oftentimes these demons would be professing the importance of maintaining the old traditions, to their own detriment. They also claim that they are the ones responsible for instigating these changes in the church, and if the Catholics wish to prevent things from becoming worse, they will keep to the old traditions. I'll read a short section spoken by the Lucifer identity in order to demonstrate what I mean. Holy water should come back in the homes. Also, the crucifix should return to its place of honor in homes. By her order, referring to the Virgin Mary, the five holy wounds should be venerated in a special manner. The holy face should be venerated. This is commanded by the Nazarene because it is so much disfigured by men. For this reason it should be venerated. The medal of the holy face should be venerated. This is ordered by the one who has power over heaven and hell. Also the image of the face of Jesus painted by sister Faustina should be propagated. Where this image is found, many blessings will come to our great ruin. The Nazarene and his mother have commanded us to state this. It is very important to pray to St. Joseph. It is most important. Regardless of what you believe, I'm simply noting the fact that this concept was important to Annalise herself. The demons professed that they would occasionally say these things because the Virgin Mary could control them at times to force them to say such things. Eventually, Annalise professed that she had started to communicate directly with the Virgin Mary, who informed her that Judgment Day is very close, and Annalise needs to work to save as many souls as possible. Specifically, the Virgin Mary apparently commanded Annalise to complete the work of Barbara Wiegand, 
a German woman who also professed to receive revelations from the Virgin Mary in the 1800s, whose work Annalise was familiar with. Initially, Annalise said that the Virgin Mary told her this would be over with in October, and the demons confirmed this, with Lucifer claiming that they would go into someone else in October. In between exorcism sessions, when Annalise was in control of herself, she spent time studying the writings of Barbara Wiegand, specifically interested in passages concerning the idea of suffering. Annalise believed that God had allowed these demons to possess her and torment her because suffering in the name of God transforms the soul. She believed that she had to suffer through this because God willed it, and eventually she would become a saint. Eventually, October 31st came, with Annalise claiming that the Virgin Mary told her the demons would be chased away that day. An especially lengthy exorcism session was held, during which it seemed that each of the demons possessing Annalise were departing. After the session, Annalise said that she was now completely free, but 15 minutes later, she let out a guttural growl and scream, revealing the presence of a previously unheard identity. The session continued from that point to try and excise this final demon, lasting until 1.30am, but the night ended with Annalise still afflicted. Annalise continued to attend university throughout this time, and was occasionally able to attend mass, although the other demons returned during subsequent exorcism sessions. Annalise continued to work on her thesis throughout November and December, passing her exams as well. By December, the demons started to claim that they no longer wished to be inside of Annalise, as they couldn't stand it any longer, but God was keeping them there to continue Annalise's penance. Annalise also stopped eating from time to time, with her claiming that, despite being hungry, there was some sort of compulsion from the demonic identities that prevented her from eating. The demonic identities started to speak less and less during exorcism sessions, and from the end of February onwards, she would only scream and howl during the sessions. Annalise's physical health continued to decline due to the physical exertion, lack of eating, and lack of sleep. She still continued to work on her thesis during March, but would occasionally experience periods where her body would stiffen and she couldn't move. She stated, however, that she was done with doctors and medicine, and only prayer could give her relief. It seems that Annalise had a great fear of being diagnosed with some sort of mental illness and being sent to an institution, as she worried that it would make it difficult for her to get a teaching position in the future. In April, she told Father Alt that May and June were going to be tough months for her, but July would bring a resolution. She met with a professor to discuss her thesis, who later said that Annalise seemed perfectly capable of finishing her thesis and saw nothing whatsoever to worry about in her condition. On the evening of April 30th, Annalise began to scream loudly and continuously while at the university, and her sister and friend were worried that she might be heard by others in the building, since no one apart from a small group were aware of Annalise's condition. The next day, when Peter came to visit, Annalise was normal and relaxed, but Father Alt decided that due to the circumstances, Annalise couldn't stay at the university any longer. She was instead moved to a parish house in Edelben, 
where Father Alt could be close enough to visit if she needed help. Initially, the move seemed to have a positive effect on Annalise, but soon she began to moan and scream for hours on end, rarely eating and only sleeping on the floor. During her stay there, she told Father Alt that she will not survive the coming summer, and no one could tell her any different. She only stayed in the parish house for a week before being moved back home. She constantly shifted between periods of lashing out, screaming, and self-harm, to periods where she acted completely normally, even cheerful. These shifts would continue to cause her trouble as she slept very little and often said that she was unable to eat due to the demonic influence. She would go through long periods where she continually hurt herself by punching or biting herself or hitting her head against objects, sometimes for hours at a time. Exorcism sessions continued, but the demonic identities no longer spoke. Despite all of this, she continued to work on her thesis during moments of lucidity by dictating to Peter and her sisters, eventually completing it on May 28th. Her thesis was clearly influenced by her own situation, with one section reading, Someone who is capable and willing to bear suffering, and from whom God does not take it away, in the end will achieve more for himself than if he had never had to bear the suffering. On May 30th, a doctor friend of Father Alt, Dr. Roth, came to visit Annalise to witness one of the exorcism sessions for himself. Father Alt suggested that he give her something to calm her down, but upon seeing Annalise, the doctor allegedly stated that no physician could do anything in this case, as there is no injection against the devil. Later, in court, the doctor stated that he doesn't remember saying this, and he was there merely as a spectator, not as a physician. He did, however, write out a doctor's note that allowed Annalise to postpone her student teaching, as the family hoped that things would end in July, as Annalise had stated. By June, Annalise was looking especially ill and emaciated, rarely eating or drinking despite her own apparent desires to. She was also covered in self-inflicted injuries, including her left eye being swollen shut due to running through a glass door. In a letter to the bishop in late June, Father Alt suggested that this was a penance possession, in which one has to suffer for the sins of another, possibly someone else in her family. He wrote that the only consolation of all this was that many souls would be saved through her sufferings. In her moments of lucidity, Annalise would continue to say that this will be finished in July, and that they shouldn't seek medical help as she continued to fear being placed in a mental institution. Another exorcism session was held on June 30th, while Annalise was running a high fever after a day of eating or drinking nothing and kneeling down over and over again. After the session, Annalise said to her mother, Please stay with me. I'm afraid. In the early hours of July 1st, Annalise Mikkel passed away at the age of 23. A total of 67 exorcism sessions had been performed over the course of nine months. Annalise's mother called Father Alt to inform him of her death, and he in turn contacted Dr. Roth to come in and confirm it. Dr. Roth estimated the time of death to be around 6 a.m., and would have written up her death certificate as dying due to natural causes, but he did not have the proper forms with him, 
so the family physician was called in instead. The physician could not confirm that she had died of natural causes, however, as some of the signs typical of someone who dies of starvation were not present on Annalise, and so a criminal investigation was called in to see if her death was preventable. If Dr. Roth had brought the proper forms along with, it's likely the case never would have become known. The district attorney was soon contacted, and the media caught wind of the case, turning it into a national story. Some of the recorded tapes of the exorcism sessions were played publicly, and many groups, both religious and non-religious, condemned the priest's actions as being medieval. The state's attorney office spent a year gathering evidence on the case, eventually resulting in Father Renz, Father Alt, and Annalise's parents being charged with negligent homicide. The charges against Bishop Stangl and another priest initially involved in the case were dropped. Before the trial began, a nun claimed to have received a message from Annalise, and she stated that her body should be exhumed so that it could be shown it had not decomposed, proving her story. The family wanted the body exhumed, and eventually a permit was granted as they stated that she was buried in haste and confusion after the initial examination. Her body was exhumed on February 25, 1978, with public officials stating that Annalise's body showed normal corruption, although the family was not allowed to view the body themselves. The trial began on March 30, 1978, with one newspaper stating that this case had generated more attention than any trial since the Nuremberg trials. The impression in the media was that the prosecuted had very little support from the Catholic Church who likely wanted to sweep the situation under the rug. The court was to decide two things. What exactly caused the death of Annalise Mikkel, and if her death was preventable? The trial was obviously highly unusual, as the accused were firmly of the belief that Annalise suffered from demonic possession, and they had done everything in their power to save her, while the judge was only interested on whether or not they had violated the law. Dr. Luthi was called to the stand and was asked on whether or not he told the family to consult a Jesuit priest if Annalise was seen demonic faces. While the family insisted that he had, Dr. Luthi denied it. Similarly, Dr. Roth was called to the stand, but denied that he had ever said anything about Annalise being possessed. A psychiatrist was called in to give expert testimony on the case, specifically if Annalise could have survived had she been given medical treatment. He was also asked to comment on whether or not she suffered from a mental illness. Could the family have recognized the seriousness of her physical state, and if she was ever counseled on any matter that might have caused her death, based on listening to the recorded exorcism sessions. The psychiatrist's overall conclusion was that the medication that suppressed Annalise's seizures led to her developing a psychogenic psychosis that manifested as religious delusions, exacerbated by her epilepsy and the exorcisms themselves, which reinforced her delusional beliefs. In his professional opinion, he believes that Annalise would still be alive had the exorcisms not been performed, and the people involved should have realized her fragile state. He stated that he would have tranquilized her force-fed her, and treated her with electric shock. 
The defense attorneys decided that they needed to get their own expert psychiatrist to provide testimony that backs up their defense. It was a struggle to find anyone to agree, but eventually they found two of them, who submitted a 103-page paper dedicated to their analysis of the two priests. The attorney's plan ultimately backfired, as the two psychiatrists agreed with the prosecutor's psychiatrist that Annalise suffered from a psychogenic psychosis, and the two priests operated out of primitive religious views that only made the situation worse. Finally, the defense stated that Annalise specifically refused medical assistance and was putting her life in God's hands, as she believed was her moral and constitutional right. Ultimately, though, the court convicted the four of them with negligent homicide, although the parents were given no punishment as the loss of a daughter was punishment enough, and the two priests were given a hefty fine and three years of probation. I'll leave it up to you to decide for yourself on whether or not Annalise suffered from mental illness or demonic possession, but either way it's a highly tragic story. The years after Annalise's death led to a sharp decrease in officially sanctioned exorcisms by the Catholic Church in Germany. A number of books and films were created about or inspired by the case, most notably the 2005 film The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Annalise wanted her situation to be as public as possible so that people could bear witness to the truth of demonic possession, and she believed that their faith would grow stronger as a result. Whether or not she was right is a matter for debate, but she certainly has become known as one of the most famous exorcism subjects in history. Ah. 